0: Xgrowth has helped B two B tech companies design campaigns that open doors in their strategic target accounts, roll out targeted ABM programs, scale ABM programs, and select the right tool and tech stack for a successful ABM initiative. These are all things Xgrowth has helped their clients with. If you're interested to learn how Xgrowth can help your firm's ABM program, check out Xgrowth at xgrowth.com.au. That's xgrowth.com.au and chat with the APAC AVM agency.
1: What's up marketers and welcome to another episode of the Growth Colony podcast. I'm Liza from X-Growth to tell you that each episode we bring in B2B leaders to chat about the yeses and nos to achieving those everyday wins in the marketing world. Whether you're new to the B2B game, working at a leadership level, or even just showing some interest, we know you'll love the episode. So grab a drink, get comfy, and enjoy the show.
2: Hello everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm Shaheen Hoda with X Growth, and today I'm talking to Hamish Grant, Vice President of Marketing and Safety Culture, about how Safety Culture, a $2 billion. Australian unicorn is implementing a product-led growth model we're going to touch on some of the learnings, some of the advice, mistakes, and the outcomes. Hamish, thanks a lot for joining us.
3: Great to be with you.
2: Absolute pleasure. I'm super excited about this because I, I don't feel like enough people talk about PLG, product-led growth in Australia. It is a underrepresented topic in this market, I mean, I'd love to kind of d- dive in. We are going to dive in, in your opinion, why, why that is. But before we do that, let's, let's get some definitions right. How do you define PLG at safety culture? I think there's probably many different definitions of, of, of
3: PLG. But uh, look, at the end of the day, for, for us, it's really just about our customers and it's, and it's really just about decreasing their time to value and decreasing the risk for customers. Uh, and if you have that mindset, then it's you know it's something that you can uh, easily get your head around, uh, and that you know if the product is working hard to serve the customer and provide the customer value, and you're really focusing your your efforts and your experiences around that topic, then you know by its very nature you'll have a PLG strategy. You know, of course, you need a, a freemium type model to expose that value to the product and the, and a really you know, and de-risk that for the for the customers, but. Uh, once you have those sort of pillars in place,
2: um, then, then away you go. Got it. Got it. Okay. What, what let's, um, I mean, you talked about the, uh, the pillars. What, what are those pillars?
3: Yeah, look f- f- for us. I mean, I mean, a- academically, you know, um, when you consume a lot of the academic research on, uh, on on PLG, they talk about you know designing for for the customer, you know, making sure that you deliver value before you're capturing value, uh, and making sure your product is really the the lever for growth. And and while I think that you know we tick all of all of those bo- those those boxes uh, in reality, I mean, uh, safety culture was really built to serve the end user from the very start and so uh so w- when it was launched it existed to to solve a really uh a really common problem for a lot of s- certainly safety uh safety managers doing compliance was that the whole process was was paper based and so they would get their clipboard and they'd go and inspect a certain item and then would go back to their, uh, to their little cubicle and their warehouse or wherever, jump on their laptop and write up this report and send it across to their managers and go, look, everything's fine with that particular thing. So in hindsight, it feels like it's just a natural right for, you know, for, for a digital solution. And, and to this day, it still remains very relevant, that particular part of the, 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 the value proposition. But, um, at the end of the day, putting that tool, a digital tool in their hands that they could walk around on to replace their clipboard and the design of the application itself being so user-friendly and so simple and was, was really, I guess, cutting edge at the time. Um, and that's in its simplicity. Um, and that really, and <clears throat> we still hold those, those values true today is that, you know, when we, when we think customer, and when we design these experiences for these frontline staff, making sure that simplicity is really at the heart of it, you know, that they don't need the complexity of a full, you know, I don't if you use an erp system for an example as an example hugely complex beast of, of uh of software you know when you're in the field trying to perform it, uh, a specific task you just don't need that level of complexity and you just need to be able to do the job and so our design has always been focused uh on, on on the user from from the outset and then you know secondly when it comes to decreasing time to to value you know we've had a it, the product's always been free you know, and that's something that uh, that when you know when when Luke created turn and, and ro- rolled it out, that was something uh, I think you know whether uh, you know working with his mentors as well, and, and had a lot of working closely with you know the guys at Alassian and other companies to understand you know what was the right growth model. And but I think that um, you know regardless of your model that you choose, you know there's something really customer centric about PLG. There's something that just feels right about it. There's something that it's uh if you are bullish about the value of the product that your product brings the world then why don't you um prove that you know and give it to your customers allow them to get value and allow them to understand how they could use it for the for for the long term don't force them through a sales cycle when they're not when they haven't got that value and they're essentially taking a bet that you're going to deliver that value to them prove to them that you can deliver that value and then, you know, should they get that value? Then, of course, they're more than likely willing to pay for it. Uh, and it's just some real simple uh, concepts in PLG like that, which uh, often go, often get overcomplicated, uh, and often get, you know, complex uh, and, you know, arguably political between departments as as businesses get uh, get bigger. But de- uh, decreasing that time to value through a freemium model, but also as it applies to marketing, you know, and and, and life cycle making sure that you're serving up those experiences to those those customers to make sure that they have that confidence in the product that should they want to expand and then create that expansion mechanism. You know, always being a, making sure that customers can hand raise at any point uh, is also key. You know, the the digital experiences and the, you know, the machines will only get you so far when there's some complexity. And at the end of the day, we're all humans. And sometimes it just helps to speak to a human. (laughs) And so, uh, so we always make sure that that option is is available, and we don't just rely solely on a digital experience. Although it's very comprehensive and very there, uh, very much there, a customer can always reach out to us whether they need support or they actually want to talk to a success person. They can they can talk to us at any point. And then yeah, and then I guess the third point you know is product is the main lever for, for growth and for safety culture. That is one hundred percent the case, uh, and so everything is centered uh, around that. So our uh, Uh, our acquisition strategy is always centered around the product, you know, and centered around public library and content, you know, we create a lot of content that, that customers find valuable and that they search for and that they come in and and then we offer them the opportunity to take this content into, uh, you know, essentially a checklist format and into the and, and into the product, and just trying to be as helpful as we can to kickstart kick their journey, and whether it's a digitization journey or an improvement journey or whatever it is that they're that that, that they're going on. That uh, that we provide that utility through our through our uh, acquisition, and you know, as a result, our sign-up numbers are in the tens of thousands, sometimes much more than that per month, and uh, which seems huge. And uh, for all the B2B marketers out there, probably uh, I wish I had those kind of numbers. And while that is, <laughs> while uh, I can say that's definitely the case, I'm very thankful for those numbers. It's also a, a challenge, uh, and, it's a, and it's a challenge to provide those unique experiences. But it's a, it's, uh, it's a good challenge to have. Uh, while, uh, I'll, I'll say that. But um, you know, it's not only from an acquisition perspective; it's actually through to uh, you know activation and expansion and you know the product serves as that expansion uh, tool as well uh, and of course we make sure that you know if a very large customer comes in that they they have that experience that's really relevant to them and then they have the opportunity to speak to someone because they've just got more complexity than they're, they're, they're a small business that's solving a, a singular problem so they more chance, more often than not they would like to speak to someone and we make sure that uh, that, that connection happens and so that but it all starts with the product and getting value from the product.
2: So, I mean, that last point, getting value from the product, I feel like it is a concept that blows a lot of people's minds where it's like, what are you talking about? That there is no one that they can, there is someone that they can talk to, but it's designed that they that they wouldn't need anyone to talk to, right? And I think a lot of people and a lot of businesses are based on that sales model. Um, and it's that sales led model where uh, where there, there are people, there's a salesperson that's gonna hold your hand and, and take you through that process. Has Has any elements of safety culture been sales led where it got transformed to PLG or was it really from the ground up, it was built on PLG and that's always been the case?
3: I think that was sort of one of the fourth points that I was keen to make is our interpretation of the the levers of PLG and why safety culture has been successful. It is a, it's a cultural thing, I think, the more I think about it, is that PLG is ingrained in our culture, not just in the marketing folks, not just the product folks, but also what we refer to as the go-to-market uh, team. Right. Yes, there is a sales function within there. There's a, but there's a heavy success function and a support function. And it's really success that drives. the 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 business success for us uh, as a company but obviously the success for 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 customers and it's really cultural and so that's one big thing that safety culture does incredibly well is making sure that everyone as they come into the business understand that this is our model and understand that we're here to help customers be successful we're really genuine about that not as we don't pay lip service to that like we're trying to figure out new use cases to help these customers, to try and to, to really help them to achieve their objectives and to make sure that they understand how everything works and how to configure things properly. And we've really been over backwards to provide that that experience. And, and you know, I, I think we're actually quite famous for our support, which is really great uh, and, and, and great to have. But, uh, but yeah, I think it's really, really culture uh, and... If everyone, including the, including the you know the traditional sales function, is is orientated towards the PLG model and understands that they have a very critical part to play in this in this PLG model, and uh, and they play that at the right time, i.e. when the customer has got value and has put their hand up and is is, is ready to go, then that will play, that will play play to their advantage in the future. Right? so. You know, there's, there's, there's arguably a few things worse for a, for a tradition for a salesperson is to you know speak to you know cold to do cool, cool downs on cold leads every day you know that's a um, you know they don't last very long doing that and they don't like it and, and I totally understand why that's the that's the case but I mean imagine if you had you know if you're a salesperson and, and your list view and you know in Salesforce you're seeing a hundred new leads every day that are, that are uh that are associated to you or sent to you and they are customers already customers already using the product already understand the value already already have an interpretation of how they could use it and how they could expand and your job was not necessarily to sell it, it's actually just to guide them into what is the right use cases for them to to deploy how they can get the most out of the platform uh and then essentially and then close the deal uh, right like it's a It's an incredible place to be when you have this, this flow of really warm customers that have already experienced a lot of the, you know, in a a PLG context, the product has done the selling for you in many ways through, through the, through the funnel. And it's not to say that they simply just take the order. They don't do that at all. They add add a huge amount of value, um, at, at, at that point, but they're not educating why eye water at the very start, or why safety culture at the very start, or why this at the very start, and then taking them through our qualification criteria and doing although we have that, those components it's not upfront. The customer is experiencing that value uh, as they go through the experience with with, with safety culture and again it's a combination of digital and and people.
2: where do where do sales usually come in? Is it, you know they've they've converted and they're using the customer as a freemium user. They've converted freemium to to a paid uh, subscription, and the sales team come in for expansion. Like what? Where is the introduction of 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 sale? where do sales? Which sounds very much like a um kind of a lot more closely aligned with 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 customer success. You know, in in some of the other organizations, but where where does that sales function come in?
3: Yeah, it's it, it, it's interesting. Sometimes it's tempting to think about this in a really linear way, like when you're doing your little customer journey map or whatever. Mm. Is the next step, which they never follow, right? Every customer exactly map ends in failure in some way. But because I mean, people in, uh, I guess consume your content and go on their experiences according to them, not to your master plan that you uh, uh, that you have in place. But for for us, the sales can be or well, go to market can be involved um, uh, upfront. Uh, or in the middle or to, you know uh, towards, towards the end of the journey it, it really depends and it happens dynamically uh, and so you know we use algorithms. so 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 customer comes in signs up we use algorithmic scoring to uh, which is based on what we know to be a type of customer uh, that is uh, that converts to a certain amount of revenue or, or a number of c counts which are have the potential to expand uh, and we use that scoring initially to determine what type of experience that the, the customer should go on whether that is a if they're a smaller business then we'll definitely point them towards um, all of the resources required to get them up to speed and to get them going and then you know should they see the value and again we're more than happy for customers to stay in free forever we have customers that have been a free customers for 10 years it just doesn't bother us. We will never try and convert those people. I think you know we will need those. We, we need those customers as well. They have great goodwill will towards the product. They probably talk talk about the product with their friends, and that helps to accelerate the virality of the of the product. But we don't get hung up on you know the cost to serve those free customers or anything like that. It's just you know we want to build a big free base, and then that converts through. You know, into revenue should they be the right type of customers and should they be the should they have the right problems to solve but yeah we, we send them through that experience and then they're offered to to go on to trial you know if they if they're getting the value um and then they go through and to send to what we refer to as a self-serve customer um and that self-serve customer you know as a paid premium plan uh paid subscription they have access to all the functionality within that in that plan, and a lot of configuration is out of the box. But they can still raise their hand and come and have a chat to us uh, if, if they want to. It's not necessarily they that we you know
2: hiding phone numbers. And hiding, shunning, yeah, shutting uh, them
3: out, making it really hard. Just not really interested in, in that too. If people have got some genuine questions, then we should be providing the answers and making sure that they're, that they're having that experience. And who knows, you know, that 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 small team might not actually be a small but small business. It could just be a small team and a large org. And um, you know, sometimes we don't know that if they've signed up with personal email addresses and this type of stuff. And so um, and so we'll always edge to over serving those customers and helping those customers to 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 be successful so that um, you know, uh, that they at least think of us or that they can can expand. But um that's sort of into the into the self-serve motion. And then from self-serve we get a lot of larger com- customers that will come in and maybe have a twenty seat deal sitting in, sitting in self-serve, and self serving. They're just really happy just to do their own thing, and they actually prefer it if we don't contact them. We're like that's fine, um, that's absolutely fine, and they can stay there. But they, you know, as far as number of you know customers are concerned, they're they I guess a smaller percentage, but they're obviously a, a big percentage of uh, of revenue um and then you know but sh- but should that self-serve customer you know expand rapidly or uh, perform key moments within the product as well as you know, you know we get an understanding that they are you know of a high fit high potential customer then we'll serve them up to our you know to our success folks uh, and make sure that they're on their radar to, to assist them and we do that all dynamically and so and so that that whole thing what i mean by it doesn't necessarily happen linearly as in go from free to self-serve to managed it could it could go free to managed you know it could go you know even in the top of the funnel uh uh, sign up through to through through to manage directly so um so we uh it just depends on you know the size of the customer and the potential of the customer and the complexity of the customer what journey we, we we put them on so it can go to market engagement can happen at any time or multiple times actually through that through through that experience it just depends on how the customer interacts with the product and,
2: and their potential interesting and, and and that that kind of leads very nicely into my next question which a lot of people when when talking about PLG their the, the thought is that PLG is really designed for SMB not necessarily for enterprise what you we were talking about and you were mentioning is that you have these the, the scoring models where allows you and the team to identify accounts that might be of, of higher value to the company might be enterprise, might be, you know, potential for materializing more revenue. And then there is a different motion design for, for those again, if there, there are certain triggers activated.
3: Is that, is that correct? Yeah. I think there's a common mistake here that companies make is that like we are PLG is a bottoms-up model rather than a top-down sales model. So bottoms-up relies on people getting value from the product and a large number of people getting value from their product within that organisation. And then it ladders up and it ladders up and it ladders up to it gets on someone's radar, That's a senior or, you know, the procurement people get involved and say, hey, look, we've got, you know, 100 people charging back to this company on their credit card. You must be providing a great service to our company. Can we talk about creating an, agre- an agreement? And we go, sure, we can. We can have that discussion, uh, and we can, you know, get an ESA together and 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 have that. So it's you can still target enterprise with a PLG model, and uh, it's a common misconception. I, I I think it's just you just need to be flexible in the way that that those those bigger companies consume from you, and also. Not being probably, I don't know if the right word is. Sometimes companies maybe get a little bit arrogant of their own their own importance uh, and go back in and you know demand an MSA from a from an organisation. But really, the individual and like in a large organisation, so say a forty thousand com- uh, person company, those departments. Are not talking to each other every day. They don't have the same use case. They don't want their data rolled up into HQ to be examined by someone in the you know, in <laughs> someone, in the in the ivory tower. You know, they've got a real problem in the field that they're looking to solve. They've got no like the the individual department that's in you know South Australia does not care what the individual department in Queensland uh, is 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 doing in a different in a different department. Nor do they ever need to, and so. So in these large organizations, we, you know, we will provide value to those individual teams, whatever the use cases are. And then, yeah, sometimes it ends up in a centralized agreement and we sell and we're we're having an enterprise sales discussion, but the way we got to that was providing value to, to, to real people on the ground and laddering up to, 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 to those moments, but it's not necessarily our objective. We quite happily have you know 100 customers paying on credit card within within an org. It doesn't bother it doesn't bother us. But if, it, it's it's if the business really wants to because you know, sometimes it makes sense for them to consolidate um, some of these teams into an account and they should go and do that. You know, and that's when you know we'll advise them on. Probably the best configuration of our product, like how to use locations better, how to how to get your analytics to all the, all the you know the results from your inspections to flow up per site and, and and into your master account, and you know how you should be using actions to fix these issues that are identified, and how you should be using you know, visual communications, and we have an opportunity to really help, uh, you know probably a more senior leader at that point to understand how they can turn all of the information that these small teams are pulling in from the from the field every day into a model that can help them with improvement, you know, continuous improvement and to, and to be the mechanism that supports that, that uh, improvement theory that they have in, in, in their business. So that's an opportunity to have a, uh, a different type of conversation. And of course you need different people with different skills to have those conversations, right? So there's a different person that helps people to configure an individual team um, in the field to solve a specific use case. There's a different type of person that you need to, to do that as opposed to talking to a senior leader in a, in a 40,000 uh, organization, you know, obviously talking about ROI as customer examples, you know, how, how that all works, the contractual arrangements, all those things, all those conversations are critically important and we need those people and we have those people in our organization that can have those conversations. But uh, but you know, there's a, essentially a passing of the baton, so to speak, yeah, as, yeah. As, as you go through that.
2: And it requires a lot of patience. I mean, you know, you, you need to build that base versus, hey, we want to close, you know, whatever big, big account it is. We want to close downer and, you know, we are going to go from the very top hit, hit the CIO and, you know, the C-level and, and kind uh, of you, you have to have patience for that to build up for the sales team to kind of start engaging at, at that level.
3: You do, and you and you need a level of maturity and leadership. I think
2: um, to be I can a, imagine. To, to, to really just be, you
3: know, to be calm, I guess, uh, and to you know, you've got quarterly targets. Everyone's got quarterly targets. I mean, uh, obviously, in a public environment, that they're uh, they're very they're always critical, I should say, um, but they're a bit more uh, a bit more implications if you're in a public uh, uh, public company. Um, but yeah, that quarterly cycle can be detrimental um, to a long-term strategy. I think any business uh, would would probably stay the say the same. But um, but yeah, it requires it requires patience. But you can also look at it the other way. You can spend two years talking to a CIO, three really? years, four years. To do, to do a big, uh, a big, you know, site-wide global deployment and deploy your solution to 40, 50,000 employees, 100,000 employees. You can do that and companies do that, you know, or you can get them set up, you know, get 100 people on uh, in a certain division and then build to 200 and build to 300 and build to 400. Over time, you, 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 the economics of that make a lot of sense when they compound month on month and year on year. Uh, and, and, and next thing you know, you've had that customer for five years, paying you increased amounts every year because of the value they're extracting from the product. Um, just makes sense. Uh, I know which camp I'd rather I'd, I'd rather be in because you're also showing confidence in your product as well and the problems that you solve and you're you're there with your customer and that uh, and 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 as they go, we see we see this time and time again. Uh, I see it all the time you know, customers come in. You know they might buy you know on the, on the pay front, and they're buying you know ten seats, and then and then it grows from happens. there. What yeah. typically happens? Yeah, that, that, that's we refer to that as sort of like the, that's like the first deal. That's just the start.
2: Yeah, yeah. 80 percent of the revenue comes after the purchase, which yeah. is um, yeah. Now Hamish, what are some of the some of the mistakes you've made, you and the team have made, and learned from implementing it that Implementing and maturing the PLG model at Safety Culture?
3: Yeah, I think I'll probably start with this question by just saying, look, there's a lot of people a lot smarter than me um, that uh, implemented PLG within Safety Culture. And again, it is it is cultural. It is it is part of our DNA and how we grow our business. And so kudos must go to them for uh, for for creating that model and and it being such an impressive engine that it is today. And so So i sort of consider myself to be a you know a custodian of 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 that great work that has been done you know well well before me and how you know how can i how can i optimize that strategy to to its growth Uh, so this is kind of my my perspective on it i think some of the if you know and some of these critiques are are easy to make in hindsight and so when i when, when i look back but you know again business success doesn't happen in a linear way either and people often forget that too, and so there's always demands, you know. In the ten years that you know our companies exist, there's been different demands at different times. You know, sometimes we're obviously full in growth mode for for monthly active users. Sometimes we'd appreciate a bit more revenue. Sometimes we would, you know, uh, you know, we we can we can manage both of those topics at the same time, which is ideally how we would like to how we would like to grow and, and, and go forward. But you know, due to that variable nature of how businesses grow, I think we probably at times probably started to restrict the free tier probably a little bit much, uh, too much. Uh, and a few years ago, we made the decision to just open it right up. We just opened it and so by that we would have some restrictions around the number of inspections for example um that a, that a company uh, could do on a, on the free tier before they were were sent through to that uh, that premium uh, experience and so we removed all of those limits and was like well if the customer wants to do more inspections to get value then that's absolutely fine they should be able to do that it's really what we really care about is larger businesses that have um, more teams that are extracting a huge amount of value from the product, they're the ones that should be really paying for it. And so it's essentially open, open with just a, a seat cap these days, and that has enabled us to, you know, essentially double our free team base as well in the last few years, which has just been pretty impressive. And you know that ultimately becomes the the acquisition channel for, for of warm customers through through, through 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 our model, and I think that's just the the right thing to do. Yeah, it means that you're not converting as many free teams to uh to to pay customers but um you know we're seeing you know the average um free team size increase you know quarter on quarter for the last three years and so so th- these things by exposing this value to to customers and and not really getting away in, in, in their journey as, as much as possible we're seeing some really great results that come off the back of this and, and importantly These customers are just in a position to to solve problems um, without frustration. And then, you know, when they solve those problems, that's when they're going to come in and say, look, you know, we'd like to take 20 seats. I
2: love how how much customer enablement is happening here. Yeah. There's, There's tons of it. There's tons of it. Hamish, why do you think PLG is not as popular, it's not as adapted, adopted, sorry, it's not as adopted in the Australian market?
3: Yeah, look, uh, uh, look uh, I'm, I'm not sure entirely that that, that, that is the, the case. I think there's some pretty famous examples here in Australia of PLG companies, you know, Lassie and Canberra, Dovetail, Safety Culture, you know, the, the, the list goes on. And um, so I think there is a large number, particularly of the earlier stage companies that are out of the gate. Uh, there have been you know PRGs since day one and obviously they provide a lot of inspiration for a lot of the uh, the startups that are coming through and to, to try and replicate their success in some way and you see that uh, you see that quite a lot I think maybe uh, but also I I, I I acknowledge that I'm very much firmly in this camp now. I haven't always been in this camp, uh, you know. I've, I've I've seen it on both sides, and so, but having been converted uh, religiously, uh, I guess to, 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 yeah, to just because having seen the scale and just having seen how impressive it is, it's just. Uh, I, I can't see myself going back to a traditional uh, traditional sales model anytime.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean the the reason I say that right is when you look at conferences, when you look at talks, when you look at you know what what people are are really talking about in the in the ANZ market, right? Even I would argue, you expand that into the APAC market, you don't come across a lot of people talking about PLG. I mean, there are people who talk about PLG, but there is a disproportionate number of people that would talk about all the other stuff versus plg where i think it's plg has a much larger let's call it share of voice in the u.s market north american market that that's what that's what what i feel and what i kind of see Personally, again, I don't know if, if you you might be like, no nah, man, you're not hanging out in the right circles. So
3: there's a bit of that, but it's also maybe who's controlling the narrative within there. You know, like if you think about these conversations that are spun up, whether they be at an event or you know who's sponsoring the event. You know, is it the big incumbent technology companies that are uh, dependent on more of a traditional model, perhaps? You know, and perhaps they're perhaps they're controlling the narrative. But what we are seeing globally is you know, specific PLG software companies that are spun up to whether to assist to assist uh, product uh, departments or marketing departments that are purely B2B technology. And, um, and so that's changed significantly uh, in the last few, uh, only in the last few years, you know, we're seeing, you know, B2B specific personalization, web personalization tools at scale, you know, that have grown up with companies like serving companies like Notion, for example, you know, it's uh, it, 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 it's interesting. So I think we are seeing a bit of a change there, but there, there is an incumbency to the attitude on the growth strategies in APEC. I totally uh, can see that, uh, that, that that is the case. But perhaps the more interesting question is, you know, why are these traditional software lead companies not considering a PLG strategy? Uh, to to uh, And I think the answer to that is that, again, coming back to cultural... It's hard. Issues. It's really hard to to change those ingrained attitudes. Like if you are a business that has been driving top down sales uh, and managing that, you know, coping with that for quarter on quarter on quarter year on year for the last three years that you've been, you know, that, that you've been alive, suddenly to pull back the limits and expose your product to your customers and lower them paying for it. That is. <laughs> oh big, my goodness! P- people can't get their head around. <laughs> You know, I think sometimes there tends to be a more, if there's a more progressive CEO or uh, the board like sees the long term, we see the long term being successful in exposing our value to our product. We see all that. That makes a lot of sense to us. We should do that. But everyone else, but what they fail to do is align the incentive to that, right? And then, and then it just becomes there's too much gravity for those for those sales lead companies to to change into a PLG mindset and um,
2: yeah there's this that's right there's too much grad, there's too much inertia got it
3: have you read the state
0: of ABM and APAC report yet if you have you'll know that 59% of marketing leaders are intending to increase their ABM investment in the coming year even bigger news is 0% of survey respondents are going to decrease their investment it's an exciting time for ABM in the region Discover the state of account-based marketing in APAC today. Download the full report at abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report. That's abm.xgrowth.com.au forward slash report.
2: Okay. All right. Let's wrap this up with some rapid fire questions, Hamish. Let's make this happen. (laughs) Um, First question I want to ask you is what is one resource? Could be a book a blog can be a podcast, whatever it is that has had a profound impact on the way you work or your way to li- live. What are some of those things that come to mind? I think that's an easy one for me and, it, and it's a book and
3: for, you know, the people that know me, I often talk about this book probably at nauseam, much to their, <laughs> they probably get a bit annoyed with me. But um, to me, there's a book called Play Bigger, uh, which is about category creation. Uh, and I felt that when I read that, and category creation is not for everyone, to be very clear, but when I read that, I felt that uh, a lot of my marketing career made sense to me. It made sense uh, in the way that I think about the the problem, how these things should be defined, um, how brand and you know your position and message is so important to creating a and differentiating a category, and, and how that's really the the, the if you really want to win, if you really want to consume the market's economics, you know, in your particular category, then that mindset I think is critically important. And so that that was a really great uh, a great resource and something
2: that I turn to quite often. I love it. That's a good book. That's a good book. Play bigger. Question number two: If you could give one advice to B two B marketers, what would it be? For me, is don't stay in your lane.
3: Probably, I think a lot of uh, young marketers and all young salespeople, you know, they really focused on doing their 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 immediate job and that is critically important right at the end of the day that's what they're you know paid to do and and need to do that but I found in in my career you know forming relationships outside of those uh, out of those bubbles and speaking to the technology team speaking to the engineers speaking to the product people speaking to the success and the support people you know the leadership just really making sure that you're out of, out of your lane and you're thinking about the whole business problem will, in my opinion, help you to really understand and help you really grow as an individual if you're really outside of your, your lane uh, and, and really taking taking that on. And once you do that, then I think you're in a better position to, to do one a better job, but also to, to do your job, you know, uh, and you have the connections within the business because we all know, like, there's no individual that um, uh, that is successful. It's really the teams that are successful, uh, and you know the connections that you make. <clears throat> nothing is really done in a vacuum, and uh, you know even in a departmental level, everything that we do, uh, all the bigger projects that we do, have representation representation from the majority of the departments. Uh, and so, forming those relationships outside of that, I think, is is critical.
2: Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Question number three. Who are some of the influencers that you follow?
3: Yeah, with with, with PRG, I think you know, OpenView has probably
2: got, from my opinion, got one of the
3: most valid perspectives, and have seen this at scale and is involved in actively moving the conversation. I think that's an incredible. They're really influencing the market with what with what they're doing. And then I guess secondly, to me, it's not necessarily influencers. I guess by the, by the notion, that they probably could be, but just looking at marketers from other uh, other B two B companies, other B two B SaaS companies at, at scale, and just seeing what they what they're doing every day, I get a lot of inspiration from from that. You know, uh, there there's some really interesting things that uh, the actual marketers are doing. You know, not not the agencies, not the all the other things. It's the the, the actual marketers, following them and understanding how they're how how they're going. You know, uh, I guess it's also great being part of having some you know really well known venture uh Partners that 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 back safety culture, we have access to you know some of the through those networks, you know some of the uh, some of the I guess the best most inspirational companies in the world, and uh and, and sometimes it's a bit hard to get hold of them, but you know eventually if you try hard enough, you really can go and speak to someone uh, at these at at, at these organisations and just take the time to learn. And more often than not, they're they're happy to have a conversation about what they're. What they're doing in just a general conversation so uh so that's where i really uh learn a lot uh from the people that are actually
2: doing and they're on the front lines doing the doing you know, in the trenches, than, in rather, the trenches. Than, rather than the academics yeah i love it last question what's something that excites you about b2b today
3: i think b2b has really changed a lot you know in the last sort of, you know 12 or so years that i've really been focused in uh in in this area i, I feel like I'm not sure if it's the same at university these days, but I felt like if you go do a marketing degree, well, certainly back in the day, uh, when you did that, I think you come out thinking that marketing is all about, you know, consumer-led goods, you know, how many, yes. how, many how many handbags can you sell? And, and that quickly runs out of, you quickly run out of motivation, I find anyway. Uh, you, you know, that, you know, selling another handbag is not going to change the world. But, you know, if you are B2B, you know, and you are, selling a software solution that could have flow on effects for you know hundreds and thousands of people or millions of people actually just by changing that operation uh, i think that's a really uh, great place to be and you you're think you're bringing a lot of value to the world so i think that people are, uh, are getting more and more attuned to uh, to b2b marketing and that it is actually cool and by the nature of that i think that attracts some really smart people and that's what i'm most excited about is the Sometimes I sit back in my own team and just, uh, when we're having conversations and just, just in awe of the smart people that, uh, that, you know, that work in our company and that are attracted to our company that are really ambitious and bring some huge ideas to the table. And, uh, that's what I'm most excited about.
2: This has been an awesome conversation and I'm pretty sure a lot of the listeners are going to take a lot of a lot of notes and a lot of insights. So thank you so much for coming on the pod. No,
3: no problem at all. Thanks for having me.
1: Today's episode of Growth Colony was produced by Alexander Hipwell and Liza Maywald. It was edited by Dave Samito, with additional editing by Liza Maywald and music arrangement by Alexander and Liza. Special thanks to Tina Wabe. We couldn't make this show without you. Growth Colony is hosted by Shaheen Hoda, Director of Growth at Xgrowth. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Do you think you'd be a great guest or just interested in a chat? Send through an email at podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's podcast at xgrowth.com.au. That's all for now. We'll catch you next week right here on Growth Colony.